Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for joining me for another episode of the Typical Skeptic Podcast. You guys are going to be in for a real treat tonight. I have an awesome guest. I have uh, Jim Elvidge with me. He has written books on simulated reality, digital consciousness. His book actually is called Digital Consciousness, a Transformative, Transformative Vision, excuse me. And basically, we're going to talk about tonight, like, all the aspects of why we might be in a simulated reality, you know, and we're going to have fun with it. You know, like um, we're not going to get too serious because we don't want to bore you. We want to make it fun and talk about the Mandela effect and the paranormal and time slips and ETs and DMT trips and how it all relates to why you might be in a simulated reality and make you think, because that's what, what this is about. We're all about learning and we're all about thinking why we might be in a simulated reality. We've talked about this before, but this is someone who's actually written a book for it. And he was actually lucky enough, and I'll ask him about this. He was lucky enough to talk with the legendary Art Bell. And you guys know Art Bell's my hero. So anyway, let me tell you about my guest. Jim Elvich holds a master's degree in electrical engineering. He has applied, he has applied his training in high-tech world as a leader in technology and enterprise management and is a regular speaker at technology conferences. Elvich's first book, The Universe Saw, presented evidence that our reality may be under program control. Nine years later, scientists, technologists, and futurists the world over speculate that our reality is a digital simulation. Elvidge's research continued well beyond the simulation hypothesis to a true scientific foundation for digital consciousness theory, and he lives in Santa Monica, California, and I want to welcome to the show. Jim, thank you for coming on the show. How are you? Oh, very good. Thanks, uh, Robert. Really appreciate you reaching out to me and uh, having me on the show. I, I've got to be honest, I, I love these podcasts. I, I think that, you know, it's, it's one... Uh, you know, one aspect of our, our media that isn't, you know, kind of spoiled or tainted or, uh, you know, following a narrative or something like that. It's just free and people can talk about whatever they want. And yeah, it's, like, it's our new news. We can let loose and Absolutely. we can we can let we can learn and we can let the audience learn with us. And like and I think that's what's great. And like, you know, it's like well, I'm, I kind of feel like I'm following in the steps of like Art Bell. You know, like he set the precedent, and now the, the 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 floodgates are wide open for people like me to start podcasts. Like, I think you should start your own podcast on um, digital reality stuff. Like, you know, and and I mean, you already have the background for it. You just like just should start a podcast. You can interview people on all types of stuff, like I'm doing, but you would have the credibility because you already have books on it. But let me ask you, well, how, how did you start even thinking about this, that we might be in a simulated reality? Yeah, I'll, I'll have to admit it's a, it's a very cliche answer. It was probably the movie, The Matrix. Um, you know, so that was what, 1999, something like that. You know, that was, I, I, I still love the movie, uh, you know, watched it many times. Um, and, and I'm not going to say that that convinced me that this is true, but it, it put a seed in my head for sure. And I was... Uh, I've always been kind of interested in sort of alternative theories about things. Um, I read Michael Talbot's book, The Holographic Universe, back in the day when it came out. And that was um, that was kind of a changing book for me. I mean, I think I was more of a, a skeptic or a materialist before that. And it opened my eyes a little bit. I did more research on it. And then, um, you know, I decided to write my own book in uh, mid-2000, like 2005, something like that. 2006 was the um, hundred year anniversary of Einstein's special theory of relativity. So I was going to write a book about relativity, started researching it. And as, the more I researched, the more I, I kind of went down these different tangents and I'm like, wait a minute, there's more to, you know, science and more to the nature of reality than relativity and then quantum mechanics. There's some bigger picture here. And it just hit me, you know, like, wow, I think, I think there's a, you know, I think we live in a simulation and nobody was talking about that other than the, the movies 
Um, and a guy named Nick Bostrom, uh, who, who was a, a philosopher from Oxford, he published a paper back in 2003, I think, on this. Between that and the movie, you know, I think it, those were seeds in my head. But then when I started doing this research, it really kind of took hold. And I started thinking, wow, there's a lot of evidence for it. It's not just a an idea that some, you know, sci-fi writer had or some philosopher had. There's actually a lot of evidence that this is the case. And I'm going to make that book instead. And that was my first book, The Universe Solved. Yeah. And one thing I picked up from Talbot's book, like I, I, I haven't even gotten a chance to read your first book, but this might be similar to what you wrote. Like, didn't Talbot say something like that? Um, we have these receptors in our brain and they tell our eyes that like that tells us what is real and what's not like that like this so like our we have a receptor in our brain that tells our eyes that this screen in front of me is real but it's not really real it's holographic right is that is that do am i have a, the concept right or am i wrong yeah if, if i remember right there was a guy named uh pribham carl pribham maybe who was a a brain researcher and he he observed that when you experience things it's not like this little part of your brain that kind of lights up. It's like all over the brain. And all this is, this is kind of morbid. If you were to take scoops of a brain out, you wouldn't, you wouldn't lose uh, anything, really, any specific thing. So it's, it's spread out. Um, and that's exactly the way a, a, a holographic image works. You know, if you take a holographic image and you cut it in half, you still see the entire thing, but it's just that the resolution is less. And the more you cut it and break it apart, the, the worse the resolution gets, but the whole image is still encapsulated there, which means that everything is stored in, everything is stored everywhere, essentially. And if you have access to the bigger part of it, you get more resolution. Um, another way of looking at it, like a mathematical way, is uh, that it's in the frequency domain. It's in, you know, do Fourier analysis and all this kind of stuff. Um, and that's a really interesting way of looking at it, too, because we think of all the signals that we get just as being the time domain. Before our, we started our, our interview, you talked about um, frequencies. Well, frequencies are sort of like the opposite domain of the time domain. And you could look at a frequency spectrum rather than a time spectrum. And if you knew how to read it, maybe it would tell you different things about reality, which is kind of like, I think what they were doing in the matrix. They see these, these things coming down and it wasn't necessarily by time. It was just some other sense of patterns. Your brain works the same way. It just senses patterns. I mean, one of the really interesting things I've, I've found out about is um, that when, when you're a baby, you don't really, we don't know what babies see and what they interpret. You have to learn all of this stuff. And, you know, some of the best theories on the way the mind works, the way the brain works now is that when you're confronted with things, it has to match it to some model. Like if you see a, a, an image of a bridge, you're like, you don't just say, okay, that immediately that's a bridge. Your brain has to say, what does this look like? Does it look like this? Does it look like that? And then, and then it says, oh, it's a bridge. And now you see a bridge, which is why when you see these like optical illusion type things, it's hard to pick something out sometimes. But then once you see it, your brain locks into it because now it's, it's matched a model that it understands. That's amazing. So, what, what, your first was your was this your first, was this basically what your first book was about? Can you take me a little bit into your first book? Yeah, the, the first book was really just um, it was a little bit about sort of a, a tiny bit about computer theory. So, um, I have a computer science background, and so you know, I, I kind of look at things through that lens. And the whole idea of 
our reality being digital, you know, I think of it in terms of, well, how would that get programmed and how, how could it actually work? Um, so I wanted to show that it was possible to work even in our, you know, human, you know, 21st century uh, construct of what a computer is. It's possible, you know, that we could be in reality. We know that we, we put on VR goggles and play, you know, uh, some Sony video game and it's purely digital and it's been programmed by somebody and it's, it's super cool and it seems really realistic. So how do we know that the, our, our rest of our reality isn't the same way? So what I did in that book was basically take that idea and say, you know, there are four categories of evidence that seem to um, imply that we are living in a digital programmed reality. Um, and that was basically it. So it was a kind of a foundational book. The more recent one, took advantage of whatever happened in the past 10 years and, and uh, really tapped into a lot more stuff, a lot more categories of evidence, um, tapped into kind of Eastern mysticism and how that, uh, that made sense. And what I tried to do was say, um, let's, let's try to create a scientific basis for this rather than just a, you know, what, what if this is the case and what's the evidence for it? Let's really look at this scientifically um, which I did in the in my most recently recent book, Digital Consciousness, and I think that kind of shows like if you if you use the scientific method on this theory, this theory is the only one that explains the way our reality works, and so to me, it's most likely to be the one that's true. Now, I have a couple of things like that I find really interesting about our reality. Like, do you think like that we're able to control our reality to some extent, like with um you know, with the law of attraction, like they say, and I think we can, like, it's not, it's, it's not like you can, like, you can get a million dollars. It's not like that. But, you know, like, if you set your will to a certain way, and you, and it's not just like working hard, it's like, you can actually, you know, focus your consciousness on something. And you, if you, if you, you know, focus your consciousness, like a laser, you can pretty much like, it's, it's weird, you can make things happen. Have you noticed this? Absolutely. And, and I think, uh, I think the answer is yes, we, we can definitely impact our reality. And that's been proven with these quantum mechanics experiments that, you know, your ability to observe or not observe something will change the outcome of the experiment. So clearly at that level, at a, you know, microscopic, at a quantum level, we can change reality. So that, yeah, we can. Now the question is, can you change macroscopic things? Can you heal yourself? Can you prevent something from happening and stuff like that? Now, that, you know, all the evidence to me says that there are a lot of factors involved. One is, like you said, how well can you focus? How, how well can you focus your intent? You take a, um, a light, you know, a hundred watt light, it's totally random. It's not going to burn through anything. That light isn't going to impact much of anything other than illuminate your room. You take that same hundred watts and put it into the power of a laser, same power focused you know, you can, you can cut a hole in something, you know? So I think, I think, I think focus is a part of it. I think another part is um, it has to, there are some constraints about what you can do in your reality that may have to do with what your whole objective in your life is. For example, um, maybe uh, Jeff Bezos's objective is to understand 
what the downside of being rich is, you know, and that money isn't, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, so, so therefore that's, that's the role he's taken on. Like if yeah, he it seems wanted- like we have to, we have to play certain roles. Like, you know, it's like, cause I, I don't think I'm ever meant to be rich. Honestly, like, no. I, I just have like these, of these, these uphill battles I always face and it's like predetermined. So I've, I've accepted that and I'm okay with it. I'll yeah. never have a Lamborghini. I don't want one. I'm fine no. with that, but I'm, I, I'm, 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 I've learned to accept the, 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 the fun things like this, like, this is my fun in life, you know, but, yeah. <laughs> but, but and, and I think, I, I think it was interesting too, is that if, if you've actually um, learned your lesson in life, then there's, there's, that doesn't uh, constrain you anymore. So like, let's say, um, you know, part of your lesson is to learn what it's like to, I don't know, struggle to create your own company or something like that. Um it's probably a, a dumb example, but something. And then you you get it. At some point you say, okay, I've totally learned that. Then you may find that all of a sudden the gates open up. You know, so that I think that's possible too. So solving um, your own self solving your own like solving your own soul's path is like exactly. is yeah. like opens up the cheat code for you almost. Exactly. Like, yeah. That's, that's, what, now I wanted to ask you what, uh, uh, two things. I, I don't want to forget about these because they're real important. I saw this guy. You've probably saw him on the internet. His name's Robert Seffer. He's an anthropologist. He makes videos. He made a video on chi and he and soul power. And he, he was showing examples of people using their soul or chi energy to uh, b- burn a piece of paper with their hand you know, with the energy in their hand, I swear to God, then you, he cut the guy cut out a piece of plastic. These are like Eastern meditation experts, you know, then he cut out a piece of plastic from a bottle and he was using this cheese from his hand and knew nothing else, you know, and he saw the plastic melt. Then he showed other people who were using their hand like this. I don't know if you can see my hand. They were used just going like this. And there was a bucket like four feet away on a table and the bucket of water would move when they, cause they were using their, their chi power. And I thought that was amazing. And I mean, right. have you, have you heard of this? I mean, I've, I've heard of it in martial arts before, but I've never heard of like meditation masters, like, you know, harnessing it and actually using it. And I never thought it was actually real, but it's actually real. Yeah. So a couple of things come to mind. Yeah. I mean, I've definitely heard of it, but usually in the sense of, you know, Buddhist monks who have spent their entire lives learning how to focus and now they can levitate or something like that. And the unfortunate thing is there's a charlatans out there that, that make the same claims. And then as soon as those guys get exposed, it ruins it for everybody else. So I, I don't know really what to say about it, whether, cause I haven't seen it myself, but I believe it would be possible. Um, you know, the other thing I, I, I'd kind of want to say about it is if you think of this in the terms of living in a uh, in a simulation, what are you doing? You know, you're you're all you're you're impacting something else um, through, you know, maybe emotion or energy or something like that. But it's not like something's coming out of your hand and pushing it or something that necessarily defies our laws of physics. It's more like uh, like a lucid dream. Like, let's say you're in a lucid dream. I don't know if you've ever had these. Yeah. And yeah. You, you say to yourself, I want to, I want to watch that rock jump up from the ground and go flying off into space and you can make it do that. Right. So if we're really living in a simulated world, we probably have some capabilities that we haven't even learned to tap into yet. And I wouldn't, I, I wouldn't, uh, negate any of this kind of thing at this point you know because 
I mean, just, just take it. Let's just take one example. You're watching the Olympics, right? Could you, I don't know if you've seen what they do with the aerial skiing these days, but could you imagine 50 years ago when, you know, if people were to look at that, they would say, this is not human. These have to be people have to be robots. What's the they, aerial skiing? I haven't seen it. What is that? Oh, it, it's, you know, they'll, they'll go off this crazy jump and they'll do like four flips in the air with all kinds of twists and stuff and oh, land yeah, on their yeah. feet. Yeah. That, that's and, pretty amazing. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm just, I'm just saying that, that that's an example of, you know, we're, we are, are, we're capable of things way beyond what we think we're capable of now. Nobody ever would have thought we were capable of that back then. I remember, you know, I don't know, 20 years ago, people were starting to do triple jumps in ice skating and now they're doing five. You know, and it was impossible to do triples then. Now, now they now they're practicing five. So, and yeah, we've been, I think, and we've been indoctrinated to think that we can't do certain things. We've been exactly. told our whole life that this isn't the right way, and we've been told that, like, for example, for the paranormal, we've been told it doesn't exist. We've been told ghosts don't exist. Meanwhile, a three or four year old child talks to a friend they say is their 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 best friend or their their pal meanwhile they're probably talking to a ghost like or a spirit or what whatever that is it's existing in the ether after it leaves this realm of consciousness whatever that is we don't even know what consciousness is and we, we just term it as consciousness and we term death as death because that's what we know it as but like we really don't even i mean it's like i was just going to ask you next about i mean that it's hard to put all that what i just said into perspective but then think about this the god gene have you heard of this isn't mm -hmm. that insane yeah um if i can go just back a little bit uh back in the 60s remember uh you're too young to remember this probably but this was the kind of heyday of nasa with all the apollo flights and stuff like that and they were everybody wanted to work for nasa and so they they created a um, and they were looking for like innovative, creative people. Um, so they created a test to determine how creative and innovative you were. Well, it turns out that children under five, like 90 percent of them would pass this test with flying colors. Um, adults would fail it. You know, two percent would pass some crazy number like this. And the reason was because children weren't told you know, when, before they get to school, they weren't told what you can and can't do and what is and isn't possible. But then when they go to school, they're taught materialistic, you know, kind of uh, point of view, you know, the cause and effect for everything. Everything can be, you know, broken down into, you know, reductive components and so forth. They're taught one way of thinking and they lose all their creativity. So, so, so yeah, I think, it, I think it, you know, you can probably take that idea and extend it to the idea of, you know, our belief about what we're really capable of has, has been suppressed um, compared to what we really are capable of. And we'll just, we'll just uncover that more as we get, uh, as we evolve. Well, no, what do you, okay. So I'll take that a step further. What do you think about psychic abilities? And like, and I'm sure you've heard of uh, Ted Owens, the PK man, people who've been able to do unbelievable feats like psychokinesis, where he was able to even call in like UFOs. You know what I mean? Like somehow he was, so, which makes me think those are, he might even be a, somewhat of a con. See, here's yeah. what's hard. Do, do, like UFO Navy pilots have had interactions with UFOs, which makes me think they're a physical object, but Ted Owens, the PK man, was able to call them in with his mind. So either okay. he was having, I don't know, what, what do you think about that? Okay, I, again, remember, my point of view is that our reality is virtual. Yeah, and, so how would that, that fit in with that? 
Yeah, so, so, so let's take an example. And I think this, this might really help, you know, your, your listeners uh, to kind of think about this in a different way. Um, let's think about a, uh, 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 you know, a fantasy game, a virtual reality video game. We all know that that's virtual, right? Um, just because we know, uh, we know how, how it's done. So you're playing this game and, um, and, and, you know, you, you don't see anything flying in the sky. So maybe this is a medieval world where there's no flying objects or something like that. And then all of a sudden, one day you see something flying through the sky. It's the first time you've ever seen it. You've been playing this game for, you know, weeks, months, whatever. So you see this thing and what do you, what do you think? You think, oh, well, the programmers put something interesting in the sky. We're going to have to discover that and figure out what it is. Oh but my God, be, that's so interesting. <laughs> but you wouldn't, you wouldn't be flummoxed by it, right? Because you know that, that you're in a virtual reality. But us, when we see something in the sky that we don't understand, we're like, oh, what is it? We don't understand, but we're in a virtual reality. So it's not that big a deal. You know, it could be, uh, it could be some other intelligence that occupies the same intelligence space as us, you know, behind it. It could be an artifact of the simulated reality. It could be all kinds of things. So it, when you, you talk about, you think like if like the, okay, if abductions are real, I don't know. That, you know, I, I've had a lot of people have serious physical evidence. Okay, like, but makes me think, why are they doing? And these in these abductions, they would do like, uh, they would do like. Uh, weird like physical like, like yeah. you, you do like a physical like like you would go to the doctor and get a physical like they they like they're like checking people to like to, to, to you know see like what they're and then they would take obviously like semen and eggs like for dna purposes but why are they checking them physically it makes me think like if they're checking like how are they are performing in this simulation or something does that sound weird or yeah you know to be honest i haven't gotten like too deep into the abduction thing i i what I believe is that what's real is what people experience. And that's the only thing that's real. Yeah. So if people are, if, if one person ex says they experience something and you don't know this person, do you believe them? I don't know. But if, if two people do, and one of them is a close friend of yours, do you believe, believe them? Yeah. Now you're starting to, if 10,000 or hundred thousand have the same experience. Yeah. You, you, you ought to believe them, you know? So I, I do have I do tend to uh, believe that these experiences are real, even though I haven't had one. Um, wh what's the purpose behind it? I, I can't really say, um, you know, so, so that's going to be just speculative on my part. But, but uh, looking at it from a virtual reality, you know, or a simulated reality point of view makes it really interesting because it makes me think like, did if we have programmers, did these programmers put these ETs in our reality or are these ETs separate from the matrix and they're coming into the matrix. It's so interesting to think about, you know what I mean? Like yeah. it's so like mind boggling. It's, it's like, it's uh it's really weird. You know what I mean? Because there's all different yeah. kinds of them too. You know what I mean? And that's weird because it thinks like, well, did the programmer just think to make up a Nordic one and then a little gray one and then a reptilian one. And we don't even know if these exist, but I'm just thinking that would make sense because you know, it's a game, like you said, and, and yeah. it just that, and when you think of it in terms of a simulated reality, it really all makes sense, because think about it, why are people seeing Dogman and Bigfoot when we get into the paranormal? What are your thoughts on that? Same thing? Yeah, let's, uh, let, let's take a little uh, deviation, and then we'll come right back to this. So okay. when, when we talk about um, the simulated reality, 
you know, to some extent, I don't like the word simulation because it sounds fake, you know, yeah. but it's real. It's as if, if this really is the way things work, it's as real as it can be. Um, but we'll use the word anyway, because we don't have a better word other than maybe virtual or something. So let's say, you know, simulation. It doesn't necessarily imply that there's somebody who wrote it, you know, or like a, you know, some of the speculation is, well, it's us in the future. We wrote this, uh, this simulation and now we're experiencing, you know, 200 years in the past or something. That was Nick Bostrom's idea. I don't, I don't like it. I, I don't think that explains certain things. It doesn't explain near death experiences and paranormal and things like that. Um, however, the, the idea that I do like, and this is one that I share with Tom Campbell and some other people is that the deeper reality, the truer reality is a huge quote, sea of consciousness. Uh, some people may call it God. Think of it like a big cloud and some little part of that cloud is me. Um, a little part of that cloud is you. A little part of that cloud is, uh, is your dog. Another part of that cloud could be um, an entity that is unknown in on in our earth simulation um, and therefore you know it's a quote et or it's one of these abductor races or something like that all all potential possibilities in this in our reality in our quote physical reality that we experience things um, you know the earth the sky the the trees all of that kind of stuff that is just a simulation run on top of the deeper reality there could be others and maybe some of these entities are moving from one to the other or maybe some of them don't even bother with a simulation they just inject themselves into the simulation for some purpose that's where it gets really speculative but the possibilities are all there in this model the, the possibilities aren't there in the you know this is a hard physical reality that we're in in that model there is no possibility of some et because they can't fly far enough you know but that's all bs you know because because we are in this you know simulated virtual model and the possibilities are endless just like the possibilities could be endless in a in a video game but in the video game there's a a real programmer behind it in our reality it could be just like this collective all of our consciousnesses are creating this in in at the same time you know that makes sense um so what about the fact of what how would dimensions work then or what would there be other dimensions or is it, is, is that... uh, well so yeah dimensions the, the the three dimensions that we think of as spatial dimensions that's just an artifact of our you know learning environment our simulated reality this earth this waking reality that we have how many dimensions could there be how many dimensions can there be in math infinite number of dimensions so you know maybe the simulation is in a space like if if you were uh again if you were writing computer programs you can create a three-dimensional space really easy you know it's a three-dimensional array you can create a four-dimensional one and the four-dimensional one is the fourth dimension is all of the other you know realities all kind of lined up coexisting here's another way to look at it you know if you play a uh, some some of the video games will have a limited number of players on a particular server because of the server's capacity um things like uh oh, you know war, war, warcraft uh you know those kinds of things um another server will have a different set of users every time you log in you get on the same 
server because it knows your account and it puts you there with the same people that you've been playing with before. But the servers in server space, that's a different dimension, right? So it's, you know, it's like if you were to bounce from one reality to another, go on to a different server, it's just a different dimension. It's just a, a different way of looking at it. Dimension isn't a mysterious word. It's just a way to group things, essentially. Yeah. Now I want to go over some things that might what might might some things that might prove that we're in a simulated reality. Some terms like in some I had some things I wrote down. The first one was the God gene. I, I looked that up before and I thought it was it was a little bit scary because I think it almost proves that we would have. I mean, like well, that someone put that in in our that in our in our. I mean, would you do? Do you know about the God gene? Yeah, is this is this the one you have to tell me? Um... So, I, so I've read something about a, you know, a set of like, I don't know, aromatic, Aramaic script or something that's in, in the DNA. Um, and when you visualize it, it looks like that. Is that what you're referring to? It's, 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 it's just called the God gene. And it's like, it's a gene that we have set up in our brain and we're set up to like worship, which is really like, at, like it make, they set that up for us because they would like, they would run in the show kind of like, um, I mean, let me, I'll just Google it real quick. Find it. Yeah, no, I've heard of that one too. I heard, heard that too. And I guess the, the way one thing I'll say while you're Googling is the whole thing about genetics is interesting because that's all virtual. Why do we need to have a brain if our consciousness is somewhere else, which is a really good question. Um, and the way I'd answer that question is uh, let's go again back to a, a, a video game model. If I'm, if I'm running around with friends or something and I want to um, throw a rock at a monster, how might I do it? There's a rock on the ground. Maybe a set of keystrokes will do that, but it's not very realistic, is it? You know, if, if my avatar is supposed to look like that, why don't I have an arm that can reach down and pick up that rock and throw it? It gives me a whole lot more flexibility. So yeah. the point is, you know, creating complexity in, in your being allows you all kinds of, you know, possibilities of how you control that thing. Same with our DNA. Our DNA is incredibly complex, which makes it possible for us to explain why we do things we do, why we worship, why we don't, or whatever. Here's what um, it says. It says, the God gene hypothesis proposes that human spirituality is influenced by heredity and that a specific gene called the vesicular maniomine transporter 2, VMAT2, predisposes humans towards spiritual or mystic experiences so it almost means like that that, that, that someone put up a, a program like something in our dna it sounds like to me that's when i read that that's what it seems like i don't know yeah and again i think you know i think the more complex our you know our apparent brain structure is our parent dna and how it works and everything gives us so much flexibility to um to evolve in the, you know, in the deeper sense, uh, you know, we can say, oh, well, we're going to, we're going to turn that gene off and become, I don't know, you know, less spiritual or more spiritual. We're going to enhance it. We're going to figure out a way to enhance it and become more spiritual. But what's really going on is under the, under the covers in the holographic universe, what's really going on is just a lot of computational stuff between consciousnesses. Yeah. Um, you know, <laughs> That's pretty interesting. Now, I wanted to get into uh, the DMT because we before the show, we were talking about DMT and psychedelic experiences. And do you think they are uh, something that shows that we're in a 
simulated reality. I don't even say, I won't even say digital. I'll just say simulated reality because, because the reason why I bring that up is because they say that people say the see the machine elves. Like I've never seen the machine elves and I've taken LSD mushrooms and I've taken DMT once and I, I've, 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 I've never taken these things a lot. I just, you know, experimented. And I, 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 I've only seen like very like shapes and nothing, nothing major, you know, like, I don't right. think I, I did like a serious trip ever. You know, I always took like a small amount. I think I was always yeah. scared to, to, to do a major, you know, like, so, um, but the, I, from what I've heard and read, that what it seems like is that this would seem like the that there's a construct that i guess that's a good word for it, that there's a construct that everybody's uh a part of when they take these psychedelics what do you think yeah i think it's um i i i think it's interesting i don't know if you know uh terrence mckenna yeah well. yeah i used to listen to him on art bell yeah I, yeah he, if if you if you listen to a lot of terrence mckenna's stuff basically what he says is um there's a there's a certain amount of dmt that you have to take a certain concentration that you have to take that that flips you over into the domain where it's like it unlocks a switch where now you can interact with these things um and most people never get there because they you know they're they're flabbergasted by the first two hits that they take or whatever that is um so all they see is you know patterns and things like that um, and i had one experience that way as well and i realized you know i stopped after you know i i should have gone a little further but it was a little scary for me so um yeah i think you have to do it a few times to get the courage to you know flip over to that point and maybe have a guide to help you uh you know have that courage along with i was with thinking you. about that too i was thinking about it like you know trying to do one of those ayahuasca trips like uh, you know i think that would be fun like to do one with a shaman like you know go down to like if i could ever afford it like go down to like peru and do one of those like you know because like then you're in like like ancient um structures and and they and then yeah. they have a shaman like guide you i that would be such a great spiritual experience if if you want to say spiritual if we're looking at everything as i think you could still have a spiritual experience even if you look at the world as a virtual reality you could still absolutely you know yeah yeah um just to you know converse with you here you know my whole thing about ayahuasca is uh, i don't really feel like vomiting and <laughs> getting diarrhea and stuff yeah i, I heard that my... is that is that the real deal on that or what's up with that is it really yeah because because supposedly the the way it works is uh and and how the shamans figured this out uh, you know is also an interesting mystery um they'll say the plant spoke to us or something but you know it, it takes two ingredients and ayahuasca is actually the ingredient that inhibits your digestion so that your body can absorb the dmt because otherwise your body will break it down instantly and nothing will happen when you ingest it that way so that thing that inhibits your digestion is messing with your digestion and messing with your system and so you do get sick and everything and i don't know maybe it's a small price to pay for a spiritual experience but it still seems kind of messy to me yeah i don't um, want to be shooting my pants in peru or something <laughs> yeah, <no. laughs> on the other hand you're you're probably familiar with uh, rick strassman's work uh yeah on DMT and you know he did it in a, right yeah he did it in a much more clinical setting where he he figured like okay what's the threshold that we need to give in terms of concentration for for people to actually you know have these experience and and it's, this supports mckenna's argument too that you have to have enough to see the machine elves 
Well, Buy it. One thing they're doing now, this is a side note, I think in like Canada, they're, they're, they're legalizing mushrooms for trauma, you know, for war, people that have went through war and stuff, instead of like painkillers and stuff that I think they're, they're, they're going to let people start taking mushrooms. Like, um, yeah, they, they, I think they've, they've made it legal in, uh, I'm going to get the state wrong. It's either Washington, Oregon or Colorado, but one of them has, uh, has legalized it to some level too. I think that's a huge step in the war on drugs because I think like, um, you know, I mean, I, I know this is a, a, big, it's a big side note, but I mean, it, it, maybe we should go talk something else, but I'll just say like, I think that's the right step. I think people are taking, I definitely think, I mean, that's huge. I think that I do too. And, you know, again, back to Terrence McKenna, he, he talks about um, something that I had, I think he was like a, maybe a biochemist by education. Um, and he talks about something, uh, and I forget the L50, what it is. It's like, what's the amount of stuff that would take that you would have to take to have a 50% chance of dying from it? And then what's the ratio between how much you take for that versus how much you take to get high? And there are some things like alcohol, heroin, stuff like that, where that ratio is very small, which means, you know, it doesn't take much to overdose and kill yourself. But with psychedelics, the ratio is huge, which means you can take like an awful lot. So he felt com confident. You know, so, so again, the point is why, why make this so uh, illegal, you know, when we have things that are much more dangerous, like alcohol that are perfectly legal, you know, yeah. is it, is it just the alcohol lobby? Is it, you know, what is it that, that causes that? Well, I think, I think what happened in the sixties was people associated psychedelics with the anti-establishment folks and the anti-Vietnam thing. And it, upset the war machine and upset the establishment. And so they just said, nope, you know, that's going to be classified as a level one drug or whatever. And it's taken 30 years for us to realize that it could have therapeutic effects. Yeah. And I don't understand because the CIA was the first to start giving it out. Weren't they the first to start distributing an LSD for some reason? Yeah. Yeah. And there, there was research, there was promising research being done, you know, back in that time. But again, then when it got associated with the anti-establishment movement, now that scared the powers that be. And they were like, let's, we got to cut this stuff. Yeah. Yeah. That's a shame. Um, so a couple other different things like now, how do you think artificial intelligence is going to, or how do you think artificial intelligence is going to, is going to interact with our society if we're in a digital reality? Yeah, really good question. Um, I've thought through this a couple times, and to be honest, uh, I don't remember what my conclusion was. But you know, I, I will say that I don't think I really don't think that a true consciousness can occupy an artificial intelligence. Uh, so I, you know, I, I'm going to be on the side of the people that say it's never going to have a soul. It's never going to have true feelings. It's just going to be programmed to to appear that way. Whereas I I think you know as a spiritual person you know, deep down, we do have a soul. And what that soul is, is our, you know, unified piece of consciousness of the big whole. Um, that's very much in line with Eastern thinking and shamanistic thinking. And, and actually, like most spiritual um, experiences that people have had around the world, all different cultures over thousands and thousands of years have come to the same conclusion. It's just the sort of Western scientific materialistic view that's put a, a kibosh on that thinking. And now with stuff like quantum experiments, books like mine, you know, uh, people like Nick Bostrom doing philosophy, you know, Elon Musk out there, you know, 
popularizing the idea of simulation, you know, people are starting to realize there's more to this world than cause and effect materialism, you know, driven science. And so that's, I think that's a good thing. We're, we're finally moving past that stage. Yeah, I, I don't think it would be good to merge our consciousness with artificial intelligence. I think people want to get this idea that they want to live forever. And like, I think that's just dumb. Like, you know, like, I do too. Yep. You don't want to like wear out this avatar. I mean, like, I try to stay healthy. You know, like, I'll admit, like, for the last like couple months, I was, you know, it was like dead winter and I was getting out of shape. But then I just kind of got back into the swing of it. Those rife frequencies really helped me out. I got to tell my audience about that. But like, and we can talk about that because I'm always looking to help my audience. These, these rife frequencies I was listening to, they just really help me. But um, what I would say, I'll get back to this first, the artificial intelligence. Like, I just don't think it's a good idea to try to extend your avatar past the time that it, I think God or whatever, I think, I don't think there's a God where it's a man sitting up on a cloud. I believe more like you in like Eastern philosophies and stuff, but, and I think, but I think like we all have a soul path and a soul journey. And I think maybe we even wrote a soul contract before we got here. So we know what we're here for and we're here for a mission. I think we all have our own mission and um, you know, to try to uh, deter that in some kind of way would be, you know, against nature, I think, right? I, I agree. And and I've actually got a blog post on this. Um, and I think there's a reason why we die. You know, the reason is so that we can, you know, go back and freshly move on to the next challenge. Uh, you know, when, when we get old and crotchety, we don't want to learn anymore, you know, and, and it's, it's, it's time to say, okay, we've, we've gotten what we've, we, we, tried to out of this life and some things we failed, some things we, we succeeded, we've evolved our consciousness to some extent, we're ready for another thing, another class, another whatever. And we don't want to extend that. What's the point? You know, we're already immortal. So there's no real, if you believe in that, which, which I do, I think the evidence actually supports that. Um, there's no point in extending your life. It's actually painful to, to do that. So I, so I think the people are just misguided these H plus people and, and the transhumanists, they're, they're really misguided in, you know, what the real reality is. If they really understood the real reality, they wouldn't be doing this. Yeah, I know. And then the, the, one of the last couple of questions I have for you, the, the Mandela effect and time slips, how do you think those uh, came into our reality? And what do you think those have to do with the simulated reality? Yeah, I, I love them both, especially the Mandela effect, because it's almost like our reality saying, hey, you know, things aren't the way you, you think they are. Here's a hint. Yeah. You know, just to keep you going. And, and, and so it's, it's very easy to explain. Um, I'll go back to that, you know, virtual reality game model. Let's imagine you're playing a game again and you've got, um, you know, all the trees are, are uh, palm trees. And then one day the, you know, program changes them to pine trees and everybody looks at it and says hey don't you remember these were all palm trees before and oh my god that's that's, that's know, such a good that's a good that's such a good explanation that, that but, but it's so easy to do and and you could say well i want to go find uh you know like like a, a log from that from that game from yesterday when they were palm trees and they don't exist because the program replaced those logs and the same thing happens with us i think you know the all artifacts that represent what we think we remember before have been erased. And that's the Mandela effect. Now, there are sloppy Mandela effects too, which I think is even more interesting. There are ones where not everything is erased. 
you know, one example, the, the one that I always use, I don't know if you uh, heard this name, my other podcast, but um, it's the James Bond movie, Jaws. Um, do you remember the character uh, Jaws on that? I don't. I was a, more of an 80s. I, I was born in okay. 1980, so I'm 42. But I do remember James Bond, but I don't remember much about it. I wasn't okay. a big, I didn't watch much. But um, yeah, there's, a, there's a movie called Moonraker and his the, the bad guy's uh, henchman was this uh, gentleman named Richard Keel. And he played a character named Jaws. And he had a mouthful of metal. And the way he would kill people, he just bite them on the neck and kill them. Well, in the movie, there's a scene where he's in uh, Brazil on a cable car and the cable car crashes and he has to pull himself out of the rubble. He's this big, huge guy. And as he pulls himself out of the rubble, he turns around and there's this little blonde woman with pigtails and glasses and she's helping him get out of the rubble. There's this big henchman, you know, evil type guy and this, you know, cute little blonde woman. And he looks at her and he opens his mouth in sort of a threatening way you know, to see the metal in his mouth. And then she opens her mouth and smiles at him. She has braces on. And the two of them immediately fall in love because <laughs> you both have this thing in common with the braces. And it's it's funny, you know, it is a campy kind of thing that was classic in those Roger Moore Bond movies. Well, today, if you watch any of these, any uh, of, of these, uh, you know, a DVD, a VHS, or a streaming version of Moonraker, that woman does not have braces anymore. And everybody remembers that she did. That's so weird. That, now, the interesting thing is- happen? Like, it's so, you know? Yeah, and, and here's where it's sloppy. There are some artifacts that indicate that she really did at one point. For example, BBC wrote an obituary for Richard Keel when he passed away where they referenced that scene in the movie and they talked about her having braces. So, you know- they remembered it and there it is on the internet there's there's that reference is still there um and then the other thing is the whole movie that whole scene didn't even make any sense you know introducing these two people didn't make any sense in the movie if she didn't have braces so like that's evidence that it got changed as well so that's kind of a sloppy mandela effect you know what i mean i'm saying that that i'm sorry to interrupt you i mean i just wanted to get I, i had to say this i think the people that say that that um us thinking that us remembering it a different way. I think that's a psyop. I really do. I think that's a psyop because like they want to try to get us so bad to think that we remembered it a different way, but that's not the case at all. And and again, I'm sorry. I just, I, I, I just had to get that. Out. I, I, but what did you think about that? Like, do you well, think- I, I think it's, it's, um it's mixed. Like I, I hear all kinds of Mandela effects now that I don't agree with. Like, uh, the monocle on the guy on, on in Monopoly. I, I don't remember him having a mono, mo, monocle or whatever. You know, so I, that one doesn't bother me. Um, but there are some that that do really feel deep down uh, that have changed in the in the simulated reality world. That's just so easy to explain. You just go. What is what is memory? Memory is uh, going back and tr- and finding an artifact. And if you're in a simulated reality, the artifact is stored in a digital form somewhere and it can be replaced by the program or by some mischievous you know hacker or whatever you know it could be replaced so it's not hard to explain mandela effect in a simulated world it's very easy so do you think maybe i was just thinking about this like if if we are in a simulated reality do you think there are humans that are that are um that are maybe the creators of us that are that are creating uh, uh, us as a program and 
there or maybe there's a some kind of different type of being that created humans and created humanity but they're they're, they're a programmer but they're maybe like some kind of who knows some kind of being you, you know what yeah. I mean? like, all, all things are that. possible but th this is where i go back to um the scientific nature of my most recent book um i use the concept of a venn diagram to try to collect things that make sense and things that don't make sense so there's all kinds of mysteries in the world and you could say that certain theories can explain some of those so a theory like a science theory like string theory will explain a couple of things um the the uh you know religions will explain certain things eastern philosophy uh will, will explain certain things the one you're talking about the simulation theory where there is a you know, nefarious programmer behind it, like is depicted in the matrix, or, you know, maybe it's a hacker from another universe or something like that. That explains a lot. But what it doesn't explain is the experience that people have when they have spiritual experiences, when they have near death experiences, it doesn't explain precognition, and it doesn't explain the, um, the quantum mechanics experiment called delayed choice quantum eraser experiment. What's There's that? no explanation for that. So, but however, in, in my model, which is, uh, it's a, it's a self evolving system the, all of those things are explained because part of the evolution of that self evolving system is that each part of it, like your soul, my soul has to also evolve to have bigger system evolve. And we evolve through reincarnations. So that, that, that explains near death experiences that explains spiritual experiences um, ex explains a little bit about precognition. You know, you can kind of look ahead and things like that. So, I mean, yeah, because I was going to say, we can almost remote view things and like find out like, you know, like sometimes I'm able to, you know, I bet on sports, like it just says like fun. Like I just hit on the Super Bowl, and I, I don't, I'm not going to say I remote viewed it. I, I don't know if I have psychic intuition or if it's just me knowing a little bit about the matrix, but you know, I bet on the Rams and I, I, uh, I, I even bet who was going to score the first touchdown. Like I, I, I knew Odell Beckham was going to score the first touchdown. Like I, 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 I did like a psychic session where I meditated on the game. I do this. Mm -hmm. I do this as a, as a mess. I joke around. It's not a joke. I mean, I, I, I do it as an experiment, like, you know, and then I'll place like five bets, like, you know, where I put like 10 or 20 bucks on each bet. And the one bet, I, one bet I made was Rams win and Odell Beckham scores a touchdown and it paid a decent amount of money. But I mean, like, um, cause it was a double bet, you know, like, but, uh, it, but, uh, it, you know, for the amount of money I just like tinker around with, like it's, it's profitable in the end, but, um, it makes me think that, that we can figure out like the future events. Do you, do you buy into that? Yeah, I do. Um, and again, it was kind of like what we were talking about earlier about influencing things. I think the further out in the future it is, the harder it is to predict or to see, um, you know, it, just like the, the, the further away the uh, change is that you're trying to influence, the more likely you're going to be able to influence it. If it's tomorrow, if I, if I want to create a third year on my face tomorrow, probably not going to happen, you know, no matter how hard I concentrate. Uh, but if, if I were going to try to visualize, um, you know, what's going on in my body and try to get rid of cancer or something like that, say five years out, I might have a pretty good shot at doing that because there's enough time to influence all the other, you know, interacting aspects of the reality to make that happen. 
That's amazing. This is amazing stuff. I, I don't have any other questions. Is there anything else you want to tell us about your book that um, we left, we, we, we might've left out or anything like? Um... Uh, no, I mean, I think, you know, one of the things that people sometimes ask me is, you know, so, so what's, what's the point of all of this, you know, and how does it, um, you, you know, what, is, what does it mean to us? And, and actually, I think there's, there's a lot that, uh, you know, that, that can change your outlook and change the way the world is if you, you know, adopt this, you know, this view of thinking. So for example, you know, if you do recognize that there's a reincarnation effect, there's an afterlife, we start pouring more money on, um, you know, enhancing the world that we're in, you know, rather than treating people like a maintenance plan, you know, and and uh, spending money on life extension and things like that, you know, maybe we'd focus more on curing diseases than than maintaining them. Um, you know, we'd also probably treat people and animals with more generosity and respect than we uh, than we do if we realize that hey, they're just a soul just like us. Um, you know, as opposed to a different species or an American versus some other you know uh, nationality. Um, it would also mean we're not in competition for resources. I mean, the reason people fight and the, the reason we, I don't know, we, we, we stick out our nine to five jobs that, that suck or whatever is because we think there's a limited number of resources out there and we have to grab what we can and we have to compete with everybody we can. And it makes a really hostile world. Um, but if we realize that there's just an abundance of everything um, and that the deeper reality is there is no such thing as limits or limitation on resources. Maybe we'd get that out of our heads and we'd live, you know, in a more harmonious way. So, so I think there's a lot of positives to this. One of the things that I do hear sometimes people saying is, well, it seems really cold talking about all the simulation and stuff. And it's not really, because if you, if you watch a, you watch a movie that moves you makes you cry you know that movie could be digital so what it, it doesn't matter it's just that's just the the mechanism that's used to give you information whether it's digital or analog it, you know down at the deepest level are we talking about little energy fields or are we talking about bits it makes no difference at all you know one isn't more beautiful than the other or more artistic or more spiritual than the other um but one the digital one has full explanatory effect on all kinds of uh, anomalies and things that we see in this world. So, yeah, I think that's, you know, a couple of the closing points I'd, I'd like to make, Robert. That, that, that's amazing. That was really well said. I appreciate it. If you could just tell everybody where they can find you, where they can find your books and everything like that. Sure. Um, I have a website called theuniversesolved.com, which is, uh, you know, after my first book. Uh, there's some information on there. It's probably getting a little out of date. I don't really keep that up that much, but there's some like digital philosophers, uh, you know, some, you know, data about, uh, you know, some evidence and things like that. There's a forum. My blogs can be all found from there. So I'd, I'd go for the, for there for the blogs, the forum, especially. Um, the books are on Amazon, Barnes and Noble and so forth. Um, the first one's called The Universe Solved, and the second one is Digital Consciousness. If you're going to read one, I'd pick the second one um, because I think it's more comprehensive. Um, and, uh, you know, but if, if you want both of them, that's great, too. So, 
That's awesome. Well, I really appreciate you coming on and maybe we can do this again in the future because it seems like you like podcasts and I like having you on like, and you know, I'd I'd like to do it again and we could talk in the future. Like maybe we could do an update on the simulation theory. Yeah, absolutely. Sounds great. All right. Thanks very much. Thanks, Jim. Have a good night. You too. Appreciate it, Robert. All right. Nice meeting you.